Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books, something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Tuesday, December 19th, 2023, and this is episode 152 of the show. Today is an encore show from last Christmas as a tribute of the sorts to the man who saved Christmas. Well, at least for the podcast last year. He's Martin Gray, a longtime comic collector from Scotland who's been running a blog called Too Dangerous for a Girl 2 for many years. Yesterday, I ran a show in which Martin talked about the blog. In the age of podcasts and videos of all lengths and all other types of interactions, people often forget there are plenty of fantastic bloggers still out there. Go listen to that show and I hope you check out Martin's blog, but also go digging around for other bloggers. There's some great bloggers out there that you should be checking out and at least looking at every now and then. Now, during the last holiday season, I wasn't going to do any holiday shows at all. None. Well, I owed Martin a taping and I tend to let the guests pick the topic. Now, if they're excited about the show, then that's going to filter through you down to you, the fans. And he was like, let's do something Christmassy. I was like, ah, oh, fine. I can't just do one Christmas show. So I gathered a bunch of past guests who pitched their latest projects and gave updates and talked about their favorite holiday comic books. So that's why I'm rerunning this particular show day. It's kind of like a tribute to the man who saved Christmas. There are going to be some links to the holiday shows in the show notes, but look at the podcast feed. Specifically shows 83 through 90. Those are the holiday shows. Now, I'm also taking a few weeks off through the holidays. I'll be back sometime in January. Truthfully, a lot of 2023 has been a big old dumpster fire on many levels. Still here, though. Truthfully, like with a few other things in my life, my heart isn't exactly into a lot of things right now. I have no intention of going anywhere. And there's some cool things I'd like to get off the ground with the podcast. Just need a little more time to process a few things and figure out my next move. Not only for life, but also with the podcast. And I tend to feel better after the holidays. So hoping a few more weeks will get me a little more charged up and ready to go into 2024 strong. Now, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. Hope you continue to stand up with the show. Look at the show notes and follow the podcast on social media and subscribe to the podcast for Ever you listen to podcasts. So important. I want this podcast to continue to grow and as I said, introduce fans to a different way of discovering and reading fantastic comic books. Now on to today's show. Welcome back to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. Today I have a new guest that I've been trying to get on, Martin Stein, who does a blog called Too Dangerous. For a girl, I believe I just said that correctly. Quite interesting. And I'm I'm making him this year the de facto uh, man who saved Christmas for the podcast. Martin was supposed to come in uh, to the podcast back in October for a Halloween episode, and my Halloween episodes did not go as planned. So I asked Martin, "Well, come on, Martin, we got to come on again." I mean, I I, I I didn't get you on the first time around. He goes, "Let's do something Christmassy." Well, my original plan was not to do any Christmas episodes, uh, just for lots of reasons. So I was like, okay, Martin, you win. We're doing a Christmas episode. And I went off and got a bunch of my friends. So I actually have a bunch of Christmas episodes lined up coming soon. And before we go into the comic book that you picked, 
Martin, I usually ask people, how did they get into comic books? What was their origin story? So how did you get into comic books growing up? And what made you a lifelong fan? Well, I was very lucky. When I was about 10 years old, I used to go and babysit in the days when 10-year-old kids could babysit for the toddlers of my mum's friend, Lynette, over the road. And every time that I babysat, she would give me 50 pence, which was a lot of money back then, and lots of sweeties, candies, and a pile of about 100 Silver Age DC comics that her brother had left behind when he left home. So it was every week I would get more and more comics and there would be, you know, all DC. It'd be sort of, you know, adventure, action, you know, Superman, Batman, World's Finest, etc. And two of my very favourite comics that were in the pile were the Superboy comic and the corresponding adventure comic starring Superboy at that point with originally Bizarro in the back when I was reading and then later the Legion of Superheroes. So over the course of about two years of babysitting I was able to follow several years worth of Superboy stories Legion of Superheroes stories and I think just being exposed to so many comics in such a short while just you know pounded my head formed my brain and really did set me on the route to being a lifelong comic fan because here I am 40 plus years later still reading comics talking about comics blogging about comics it was yeah it was Good babysitting sessions. I, I forgot to mention when we started this podcast, Martin's actually in England, so we have this big five-hour time difference here or about. Martin, those comic books that you got, were they actually American uh, DC comics or were they, they British editions? No, they were, they were the original DC comics from America. We used to get them. They came, they came over to the UK. They didn't come with any particularly regularity. You could get maybe every two out of three issues, but they would come across on ships. They were used as ballast, basically. So, you know, the news, the newspaper sellers couldn't order the comics by issue. They would just get a whole bunch of comics that had come over, helping the ships not sink. So <laughs> it was good. Gotcha. Now, you also run a blog, and that's how I came across you on Twitter. Tell the listeners a little bit about your blog and how long you've been going with that blog. Well, I think without having time to check, I think I've been going for about 15 years with my blog, which is called Too Dangerous for a Girl. And I probably should have picked a different name because every time anyone asks, I have to say, well, it's not as sexist as it sounds. It's actually a reference from an old Legion of Superheroes story in which Brainiac 5 doesn't want Saturn Girl to go on a mission because, quote, it's too dangerous for a girl. And of course, Saturn Girl being Saturn Girl puts him in his place. But it just always amused me as a... As a a classic DC Comics line. But yeah, I, I write about DC Comics, Marvel Comics, the occasional independent, but over time you learn what gets comments. If, you, if you're not getting comments, you're not getting the feedback. I don't care how many views I get particularly, but it's just nice when people come and chat about the comics back at you. So I tend to concentrate on the DC Comics and things like, you know, Legion, Justice Society, Justice League, Superman, etc. get the most comments. So there's, there, I, there could be a wider variety of content on my blog, but that's just the way it's developed. So, wow, that's amazing. That's been around for 15 years. Obviously, you probably didn't think 15 years you would be doing it. Was there any point in time when you're like, ah, I'm kind of dumb at this or something like that? <laughs> about about two thirds of the way through every year when I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, 
DC have done that again. I'm writing about that again. And surely anyone who's been reading this for even a few months probably knows what I think of that. And then you'll get loads and loads of comments from people and you'll you'll think, well, you know, people are enjoying this. And it's become such a part of my life just to, you know, choose Tuesday night, maybe a bit of Wednesday, a bit of Thursday to do to do the blogging. That every time I think I should pack in the blogging because I'm just repeating myself, which I try not to, try and keep it interesting. Or also because the time spent blogging is time that you could be actually reading all the many, many omnibuses and trade paperbacks and now DC Infinite and Marvel Unlimited comics that I haven't ever got to. But it's just so far, I'm still enjoying it. People seem to be having fun with it. So sticking around for now. You know, this gives me the opportunity to plug uh, another blogger and my own podcast. Similar to your story, last spring, I found a guy, he runs a blog called Attack of the 50-Year-Old Comic Book. And his name is Alan Stewart, and he basically covers comic books that came out 50 years ago when he was first collecting. And I first approached him back in the spring. I'm like, ah, come on on the, the podcast. And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. So he does a very scholarly approach, very objective. He really does a lot of great detail. So we did most of 1972 and later today again he's coming on and we're going to try to finish up the year with november and december of 1972 and that's that's one of my other bloggers that I actually have on and i like to try to get a good diversity of, of people on the podcast i've had creators on i've had bloggers and youtubers and podcasters uh you mentioned the dc app now over there in england how long has that been going it is actually i'm in scotland i'm english i'm, I'm sorry scotland, scotland. It's okay. excuse me martin martin's from scotland heaven it's forbid all part, it's all part of the it's all part of the uk hey I, you actually promoted me at the start of the podcast when you called me martin stein that was oh, interesting. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true i'm sorry i forgot martin but that's no, all right. how, how long has the um uh app been there in in, in england for the dc stuff how long not, is- not long not long, Ronald. It's about I think it was April that came to us. That's what I thought. Got, yeah, no, you're spot on. Well, we haven't got all the functionality. We haven't got the community content. Every time you press for the community, the app basically explodes. But uh, no, it's, it's it's actually wonderful to have it now that we've got the the ultra tier and you can get things one you know new comics one month rather than six months later from the print. And print, print yeah, that yeah. Um, the, the the app has always been very buggy, and I don't really understand it. And the episode before we're taping this, I actually did a uh, a review of the DC app and the new stuff. And they really did drop, or they're trying to drop like about 5,000 titles and hoping that they're there sometime this weekend. They've always been kind of quirky. Martin, they've been always kind of quirky with what they released. They, miss, they have a lot of uh, runs that are missing comic books in. Um, there's a lot of digital stuff there in a digital edition that prior to this big release they didn't have on the app or didn't have available but i've been going through the app now i'm like i'm really kind of excited you know with some of the new content um especially the back issue stuff now they've got a lot of trade paperbacks that are on the app and i I really think it's a it's a good um thing to really discover a lot of dc not necessarily stuff that you want to read but you know you can find good comic books like the one we're going to talk about today. And Martin, you chose a Superman story 
from 1983 and a Superman number 39 from the second run of Superboy. Why did you pick this particular tale? Because there's a lot of DC Christmas themed holiday themed stories on the app. What made this one stand out for you? Well, it was bit of luck really because i've blogged a lot about dc christmas stories in the past and i was hoping to find something that i hadn't spoken about or written about and uh, so i just put christmas into the dc app and actually new adventures suit boy 39 from march 1983 as you say was one of the first that came up and the, the cover i just remembered it immediately the cover by gil kane is so wonderfully bright you know lovely bright christmas cut by christmas cut with lots of blue you know and suit boy swooping into a big snowy scene and I just thought, I remember this issue. I'd like to talk about this. I mean, one one thing that the cover could have that it didn't. In the UK, comics at Christmas time, well, pretty much every issue in December because most are weekly, they have on, on the logo on the masthead, the, the production people put little bits of snow on the masthead. You very rarely see that in American comic books. And they're missing a trick because you look at it and you think immediately, Christmas, holidays, as you say wonderful but yeah i mean i just i just love this issue i mean we we were following new adventures of superboy yes i remember reading that when i was a kid uh this particular run i grew up to become a very big legion fan so actually i'm a bronze age baby i actually started reading comic books in 1977 so that was my my big thing now you mentioned the gil kane cover and Besides, there's a GK in the bottom left corner of the cover. Gil Kane is one of them artists, like a Kirby or a Ditko, that you can usually look at his covers and go, that's a Gil Kane. He has such a distinctive style to his artwork. Wouldn't you agree, Martin? Oh, certainly. I mean, his he was such a fantastic designer. I mean, I think I think for the first few years of the 70s in Marvel, I think he was pretty much there. You know, their go-to cover designer until Lord did loads of Jack Kirby covers. But I mean, Gil Kane was one of the first artists I came across because he was drawing the Silver Age Green Lantern that I started reading as a kid. And I'm sure you know that you know Gil Kane is famed for his nostril shots. Yes, yes. You know, and and, and you and I are talking Gil Kane, and a lot of older fans know about Gil Kane, but new people that they may not know Gil Kane. And I'm like, well, Gil Kane's one of the iconic artists that you really should know about. He doesn't get a lot of attention in the spotlight. And I understand there's like 80 years of comic book history and it's kind of hard for every artist and creator to get the spotlight. But, you know, Gil Kane had a really big run. He, you know, he, he really deserves more attention in the spotlight. He started back in the forties and he worked all the way through, straight through the nineties. And he worked for basically every comic book company. He had co-created lots of characters. He, um, helped design the modern Green Lantern, which is the Hal Jordan and the Ray Palmer Adam. He over at Marvel, he co-created Iron Fist and Adam Warlock with Roy Thomas. And people don't like, oh wow, that's you know. And back to Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, he actually penciled the first seventy-five issues of that title, and I didn't realize that until I went doing some research. I'm like, that's a pretty good run for back then, seventy-five issues of a of a title. I mean, that's impressive now, but. Gil Kane, I mean, don't you think he, he deserves a little more attention than what he's gotten over the years? He certainly does. I mean, well, you know, a few a few years back, you'd hear a lot more about him, you know, before the image guys came along with, you know, with their, with their, their flashiness. But Gil Kane was a proper a proper trained craftsman. You know, he, he knew the muscular tour. He, you know, he'd been trained and he drew from life. And, you know, I mean, I mean, no one 
even even Salvi Seema, who's you know famed for his big punching shots and the whole punching people and things, nobody draws people being punched across the panel like Gil Kane. I mean, he, he just the the angles he used, the way he would design a page, move the panels around. He honestly, if 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 anyone listening isn't familiar with Gil Kane, just do it. Do a Google image search and prepare to have be knocked out. Totally agree with you. So, what about this? So, what else about the story that you know? Tell tell the read the listeners a little more about the story itself, and you know your impressions and everything. Okay, I'll, I'll do a press here. I mean, I'll, I'll try not to go on too long, but no, no, we. This is actually very good. You are free to go as long as you want. There's no well, no time. A couple of minutes of telling the story. Yeah, but we begin, and it's Christmas Eve in Smallville. Uh, the Ken family and friends are gathered together singing carols. Everybody's merry and bright except Clark and Lana's school pal, Bash Bashford, who I often get it wrong. I call him Bash Bradford for some reason. He's actually called Bradley Bashford and his nickname was Bash, so Bash Bashford. And Bash is having a Charlie Brown moment. He's depressed by the growing commercialisation of Christmas. And he's saying, you know, how am I supposed to believe that? Well, look around you. People are killing each other like crazy over in Vietnam. Even the fact this crummy world needs someone like you, Superboy, because crime's running rampant, doesn't that tell you something? And, you know, Superboy tries to cheer Bash up with a little, a little, a little speech, but doesn't do any good. So he decides to try and show Bash by example, and he tries to demonstrate what a difference Christmas spirit can make. So Superboy flies Bash to an alternate Earth, having recently discovered the existence of Sam. And on this Earth, Smallville is very different from their warm picture postcard town. Buildings are ruined, the streets are deserted, there's a real, real strong smell of pollution in the air. Bash sees a lone figure running down an alley, tackles him and finds a very nervous Clark Kent wearing an anti-pollution mask. This Clark mistakes Bash for his own Mr Bashford. Clark runs off but he's soon replaced by a mob, angry at the strangers in their town. They attack and Superboy persuades the pugnacious Bash to flee. Superboy handles the townsfolk. Bash, meanwhile, narrowly escapes a strange ray gun fired from a kind of machine gun. Meanwhile, he rescues, Superboy rescues this world's Park Kent from the bad men. This Park Kent is a widower, Martha having been killed by the mob. Now Jonathan is a freedom fighter for peace. Superboy hears carols from the back room of Jonathan Kent's hideout. It's Bash teaching people carols as a reward for taking him in and sheltering him from the mob. And Superboy is impressed that even, no, sorry, Bash is impressed that even in this terrible world, people want peace. Then the leader of the peace-loving folk, a blonde young man with a buzz cut, but his face covered by a mask, arrives and warns them that the bad guys are near. He doesn't want Superboy to use violence against them, so Superboy digs a hidey hole underground. The mob is foiled, and the good folk resolve to continue spreading the message of peace and brotherhood. Hopefully one day the world will be a good place to live again. On the way back to Earth-1, Bash tells Superboy he wishes he'd met his duplicate on the other world. Maybe you did, replies Superboy. Later, back at the Kent home gathering, Bash turns up, dressed as Santa and finally feeling the Christmas spirit. Bash doesn't realise that the leader of the peace-loving folk was the alternate version of Bash Bradford. You know, that story was like only 15 pages long, but it was a really good, well-constructed story. I honestly had not read that story in literally in decades. I had I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even realize it was on the DC app. When you proposed that story, I'm like, I don't know. They're, they only have like half that run of Superboy. I'm like, well, I'll be darned. There it is. It, 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 it actually shows up. And uh, it's written by Paul Kupperberg. 
And Paul Kupperberg has been around. He's still around doing things. And he's another one of them writers that has done everything and everywhere and doesn't also get a whole lot of credentials right now. You know what I mean? He's kind of forgotten in the uh, the scheme of things. You still there, Martin? Oh. I do. Uh, yes, sorry. There was, sorry. There was a problem with the Zoom. Couldn't quite hear what you were saying, but yeah, Paul... Paul Kupperberg, I mean, he, he, was, he had such a lot of credentials at DC Comics, you know, you know, writing basically huge amount of backups in the Superman family books, writing DC Comics Presents, long run on Doom Patrol, and he took over New Adventures of Superboy after it was written for the first, however many, maybe a couple of dozen issues by Carrie Bates. And it just was an excellent run because he, he brought he brought a little more reality to Superboy, which by this, when I started reading Superboy Adventures, they were set in the, in the 19 late 1920s and bit by bit they moved up and caught up to the Superman to where they were 13 years behind Superman so by this point Superboy stories were set in 1969 hence the Vietnam War references but uh, Paul Kupperberg was trying to make it you know a little more interesting by putting in subplots like having Superboy date someone other than Lana Lang a girl called Lisa and having Paul Kent run for the council and fall foul of the local the local the local Smallville mob not the mob in this story and it was an excellent one by Kupperberg, and I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I totally agree. I I, I would love to have Paul Kupperberg on the podcast. He still does an active blog out there too, and uh, I've I've always been a great fan of his stuff. And again, he's another person that people should um, check up, Google, check him out, and see what he's available. There's a lot of stuff. I think he primarily wrote for DC though. Now, you, I like the fact that you said you grew up on Superboy and Legion of Superheroes. And nowadays, the whole concept of Superboy has kind of gotten watered down. I mean, you've had uh, the clone of, of Superman and Lex Luthor, who it was Superboy for a while. You had John Kent, which is Superman Lois's son, as being Superboy. But originally... Superboy was Clark Kent, and he was first introduced as Superboy in 1945, and he received his own title, which ran for decades. Um, in 1949, I, I found this interesting. He was the sixth character out of the DC staples to get their own individual title, and it was the first successful DC comic it launched after World War II. Now, when people talk about uh, continuing stories, they mention, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, and just the regular Superman. But Superboy was also right there. He went all the way straight through the Bronze Age. All the way. He did. Yes. So he he did. He was because because when he was originally written, and I mean, I know that Siegel and Schuster, Superman's creators, Jerry Siegel and George Schuster, were. We're proposing Superboy to DC very, very soon after Superman became a big hit. DC resisted for years, and I think they finally brought it out under other creators when the guys were at war. I may be corrected on that by someone if I'm wrong, hopefully. But uh, yeah, originally Superboy was you know about eight or nine year old. But, but again, when I started reading them in the in the late seventies with the stories of the early sixties, sorry, early seventies, he was he was about you know about fourteen year old, something like that. Bit by bit through the seventies, he got older and older, probably by the by about 1980. In fact, this series, New Adventures of Superboy, started on Superboy's 16th birthday. Yeah, exactly. 
with that very, do you remember that very memorable cover blog, first Electra Thing issue? Not Electra Electra Thing issue. Yes. Uh, Superboy had basically two running features uh, from his original title and adventure comics for, uh, you know, all the way through the Silver Age. And then in 1973, the Legion of Superheroes kind of found a new home because they were actually in adventure comic books with Superboy for most of the 60s. And then right around 70, Supergirl displaced the Legion. And for a while there, the Legion of Superheroes had no home at all. And with Superboy 197, the started the guest star, you know, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. And then issue 221, this title in 1976 eventually became Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. And that lasted for about three years. And then in uh, right around 259, it became the Legion of Superheroes. And then Superboy was spun off into its own book. I always found it odd that the Legion of Superheroes didn't start with one and Superboy didn't continue his numbering all the way straight through. You know what I mean? You know who I want you. That's such an incredibly obvious point, and I'm embarrassed to say that that didn't hasn't struck me. But you're absolutely right. You know, the League the Legion was the one that was the the big hit in Superboy. Why did I take that momentum? Yeah, start them with a new one. Give Superboy back his book, and you you still got the one great book becomes two. Ronald, you you're a genius. Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, and. It, you know, during this time before he got his own title, he had a brief run in Adventure Comics again, which lasted for a couple of years, a couple of issues. And then he bounced around into the Superman family for like about five or six issues. Now, this run of Superboy lasted for 54 issues and about four years. And the only reason why it stopped ceased publication is because of Crisis on Infinite Earths. When Remember when DC decided that Clark Kent was no longer going to be Superboy? Remember all that hoopla? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, it was one of the worst decisions DC ever made to satisfy John Byrne's ego of his, sorry, his storytelling needs, rather, to be fair. And it ruined, it ruined the Legion of Superheroes, too, because the Legion Absolutely. of Superheroes, you know, and I just, it's so funny because after, the, after all this time, a lot of the crisis stuff, especially the Superman mythos, has all been like shredded anyway. Because now you've got the whole Superman family and then some and all these extra characters. And it's a shame because Legion got suffered. My it other did. and the other thing that always bugged me is that if they're gonna do crisis, I thought they should have kept like a couple of the Earth, Earth One and Earth Two, and maybe Earth S, because you know, the Earth Two, when you wiped out Earth Two, you wiped out so much history of the justice society and all that continuity that even to this day has never been fixed i mean you've got poor power girl who was the super girl of earth two who's never recovered from you know you know oh, yeah i mean it, it opened up some new storytelling opportunities but that was only because like you say it, you know it crushed so many characters and series along the way i mean the, the fact it's you know, as you mentioned, Superboy had successfully ran, you know, starting two comic books for decades. Yes. And then suddenly he's gone. Then I have to suddenly start explaining, you know, well, who was this guy with the Legion and why didn't Superman have a career with Superboy? And every couple of so every few years, modern DC seems to tease us with the idea that suddenly 
but Matt Clark Kent did have a bit of a Superboy career in continuity. Then it's just forgotten in a couple of issues. It's it's just terrible. But which is why I think partly why I was so pleased that you asked me what I could talk about, and I was able to choose this issue because it made me go back to a time when Superboy was on the stands every month, and you could get stories like this, which is just a perfect little Christmas tale, and it's not too sentimental. It hits all the right modes of hope, fellowship, community, peace on Earth, but it's not utterly, utterly saccharine. No, and I like the fact, now this is another thing that DC bounced around over time, but all the way straight through until Byrne came along, and this is actually one of the good things that Byrne did when he redid the Superman series, is that in Superman's history, Mom Pa Kent actually died when Superboy was around 18, 19 years old. So all through the DC mythos up until Burton came along, there is no Mom Pa Kent around. And it's kind of looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, there's the Superboy. Mom Pa Kent are still alive. And after Burn, you know, Mom Pa Kent were alive for decades. And then the New 52 came along and Mom Pa Kent were gone again. And then with Rebirth about five years ago, and Doomsday Clock, they slowly made Mom Pa Kent active and going, finally, this is what, you know, they should be part of the storyline. They're very, Burn helped make Mom Pa Kent important parts of the Superman Clark Kent mythos. And I'm really, you know, I was reminded of that when I was reading this Adventures of Superboy going, you know what, that's the only place you ever saw Mom Pa Kent back then was in the old Superboy tales. And, I think, uh, yeah. I'm- I'm more grudging on this one because yes, because to me, I was I was I never had a problem with Mark Kent, Mark Park Kent being dead when he was alive. Because what again, one of the first stories I ever read was it was a backup in Superman because I suppose they didn't want to upset the Superboy readers. But the backup in Superman 161 or something like that was the tragic day Mark Park Kent died. He told that story about how Superboy took them on a dream holiday to an island. Yes, they caught the book and they died. Whoops, that's but pretty then, dark. I mean, that was pretty dark for back was, then. You know, thank fantastic, you. Yeah. And you're right, you know, up until Burn, I, I just accepted that Mom and Pa Kent were gone, and that was just part of the mythos. And then, you know, over the years, I'm like, oh, I like Mom and Pa Kent. And, you know, at one time they killed John, John Kent off, I mean, Pa Kent off, they killed him off for a while. Um, I find it interesting that poor Brad Bashford, who's a star in the story, he really has not ever been part of the, the Superman mythos. He only appeared 19 times throughout the whole, his whole history. He and, gave me a new... Oh, he yeah. No, and and prior to being reintroduced in the new Superboy series, he hadn't been around for eleven years. Exactly. I mean, he was introduced as as a bully, and he was usually just you know, yeah, doing the Steve Lombard role, probably a little before there was a Steve Lombard, just being exactly. you know, a classic yes. class bully. But it, one of the things I like in this story is that you know he's he's still a, a little boorish at times, but you know he's he's Paul Cumberbatch giving him a little bit of depth, a bit of nuance, which is fantastic. Yes. You know, the other thing we forgot to mention when we were talking about um, creators, that this issue is drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. And when people think of Superman, a lot of times they think about Kurt Swan. And they forget that Kurt was huge, especially in the Superman mythos. Um, You know, he was best known back in the Golden Age, working on Captain Marvel and the Marvel family. And a lot of those issues, I'm pretty sure you can get through like uh, Comic Book Plus because they have a whole big run of those issues available to download and read digitally because they're now public domain. Uh, He worked all the way straight through to the Bronze Age. 
And people forget that he was the main artist of Lois Lane. Back he in was. <clears throat> now, here's a little factoid. In 1957, Otto Binder, who's another character, another writer who doesn't get mentioned anymore, uh, he recruited Schaffenberger to work at DC on the Superman family. And that's where Kurt stayed for the next 30 years. And I'm, so, I'm so glad that he did. And I know, I know yes. that Otto Binder and, and Kurt and Kurt Schaffenberg, as he said, both worked on the Marvel family. And when you saw, you know, Kurt Schaffenberger occasionally draw Mary Marvel, it was just just a joy. But yeah, to yes. me, I, I, you know, it was his it, it was his Lois Lane work that was just defining. And, and just he, be able to, yes, exactly. I mean, but he was still here in the you know in 1980, 83, whatever. Totally on the top of his game. I mean, this 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 issue, I would urge people to go out and seek seek it out in the DC app. But you know, he's 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 inking himself. I think he used a brush, and it's just such absolutely precise, gorgeous work. I mean, I can look at any panel and just just you know, it, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get the attention for his uh, exp facial expressions as someone like Kevin Maguire does. But it's all there. You know, you you never doubt what emotion's been feeling. It's no. in the body. In the exactly. Face. Yes. Yeah, he could do action. I mean, he, he, he quite often drawn the quiet stories without huge amounts of action, but he could do action. I mean, he drew a lot of Supergirl stories. And I, I, I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly probably my all-time top three DC artists. He did Lois Lane for the first 10 years of the comic book. And, you know, back then, that's still quite a remarkable run, you know. Well, that, that was the man who could draw a pillbox hat. Yes, exactly. You know, and I, we were talking when we started this off, we were talking about the DC app and I have been a charter member. It's been going on since 2018 and they don't really do a great job of, of really honoring their legacy and their past and characters like that. They have the lowest lane run. They have only like the first 21 issues. They started adding it to the app several years ago and then they just stopped. And I would wish that they would continue adding these because stuff like Kurt or even the early, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, oh, that's right. There are two Kurt's. Kurt, I just, I'm, wow. I, I had it just a complete, I forgot there's two Kurt's. There's a Kurt Swan and a Kurt Schaffenberger. And that's the first time that the two names just connected that there's two big Kurt's. One's with this one. Yeah. Wow. But no, I mean, both the Kurt's and, and these writers and stuff, they really, should be part of the, the app. You know, DC really should take the effort to digitize and make more of these early runs part of the app to honor, so the, honor the legacy of these creators. You know what I mean, Martin? I think they get more more of the old vintage fanboys probably to commit to the app if they did that sort of thing. But it, and, and even without the, the fantastic first 10 years of Kurt Schaffenberger, once he moved off the strip, off the lower scaling strip, you're getting the likes of uh, Werner Roth and John Rosenberger drawing it. Yeah. You hit the Hit the period after in the after the hundred about issue hundred when it started sort of the Jack Kirby stuff started feeding into the Lois Lane strip. Things got very very weird and suddenly Lois dumped Superman and it goes freelance and the stories got a bit a bit more quote adult and they're just such such great stories. And I give Marvel credit because they have a I mean like their old journey to mystery, their tales to astonish, all those issues. Strange Tales from number one. They have all of those on the Marvel app. And it's oh, such, yes, it's so cool to see, you know, Jack Kirby drawing the monsters and stuff from the 50s and all that crazy stuff they did before the superheroes started. 
it's really a, 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 a great treat to, to read though. Now I'm hoping and I'm hoping that the new owners of DC, which is Discovery, does a better job of being a caretaker of the DC properties because AT&T was a lousy caretaker of the properties. And I'm very um, hopeful because, you know, when they brought on, you know, they bought Discovery, bought DC back in the spring, one of the first things they did was expand the app to make it available in more countries. I'm like, oh, maybe they have a game plan. And we were just talking at the beginning that they have the new Ultra service where they added comic books that came out a month ago. And just in the last week, they dumped a lot of old, old comic books and trade paperbacks um, onto the app. For example, hold on one quick second here. Oh, where was it? Give me a second here. I was just looking yeah. at somebody. Where was <laughs> Vertigo stuff on that wasn't there previously. No, yes, it's wonderful to have them there. They they have um, a lot of the Silver Age and Golden Age um, trade editions on there now, which I was really um, pleased about. Let me see here. I just sent a guy a picture just yesterday about. It. Hold on one second here. Oh, yeah, yeah. They got. Um, the trade paperbacks where they have the Silver Age Supergirl run, the Silver Age Doom Patrol. They got Silver Age and Golden Age Batman runs and Superman runs. And that's cool because, for example, you know Gardner Fox, right? I do. Well, I had back in um, June, plugging another episode, folks, I had the biographer of Gardner Fox on, Jennifer DeRoss, and we had to go to Hoopla, to get the golden age edition of the digital copy to see the early Gardner Fox that he did in detective comic books. He actually did the, I believe he introduced Hugo Strange. He's the guy who did the utility belt and all those early golden age stuff is now part of the DC app if I can find him because the app is still kind of buggy. So I'm really excited that, you know, there's a better opportunity to, to see and um, explore these writers and artists who kind of faded into the sunset because of all the history you know of dc comics absolutely so, I, do, I do back you up and say i would thoroughly recommend jennifer schwartz levine's biography of gardner fox because it's an excellent read it's on the shelf behind me but I'll, I'll tell you something else that's on the shelf with me here there's a book called the unpublished comic book scripts of paul kupperberg and i have that you have it yeah and fantastic in which you find out that if I mean, we it was the comic was announced when 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 Supergirl lost his strip in what lost her comic book Daring New Adventures Supergirl and Superboy lost his strip before we knew he was going to be disappearing with the crisis. They they announced a double Superboy and Supergirl double comic, which never happened. But it turns out that uh, he was going to have a new bunch of super superheroes from the current day. Sorry, the Superboy's current day that weren't the Legion because they were from the future called the Galaxians share the comic book with Superboy. And there's, there's some scripts in there for unpublished Supergirl and Superboy strips. And again, I can, if you know, if you have a bit of spare cash, you get the Christmas voucher, Christmas book voucher, do look up the unpublished comic book scripts of Paul Kupperberg because it's fascinating. There's actually, Paul has several books out that he's done. And one of my goals one day is actually to do a podcast on just some of those uh, books that he put out. He also wrote a book called JSA Ragnarok, which I've was, got that. Oh, yeah. I've got that. 
It's another great um, book, and I'm not sure how DC allowed them to put that out because it's not really part of the DC universe, but it's, it's another great stuff. Martin, this has been extremely fantastic talking about DC Comics Superboy issue and a few sidebars. I think it was very informative. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap this up this time around? Just, I mean, just one final thought on this comic is that if you do look at this comic, Pop along to page six, in which Superboy goes to the other Earth for the first time, and look at this version of Smallville, which is a total wreck. It's like Pottersville from It's a Wonderful Life. And I have to say that if DC ever wanted to adapt It's a Wonderful Life, they could not do better than Kurt Scaffenberger, who can do the small town folk, the folksiness. He can also flip onto the darkness, which wasn't wasn't a, a reflex he got to do very much at DC. I just say, you know. Go back, see if you can read this comic over Christmas, read other Christmas comics, tell us on Twitter about Christmas comics that you enjoy, and a very happy Christmas to one and all. Happy holidays. Thank you, Martin. His blog is Too Dangerous for a Girl. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We'll have you on hopefully sometime in the future. Yes, please. Thank you, Arnold, for having me. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.